for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. All right, I am blue. You are bright and shiny in my mind. You got me loving, hating, crazy indecision in my mind. Welcome to the Fall Podcast, where the focus is on deer hunting, tips, tricks, tactics, and stories from across the Midwest. And now, here is your host, Aaron Blasey. Welcome to the Fall Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Blasey, and this is episode number 55. And on today's episode, I do not have Justin with me, my trusty sidekick and co-host, but I do have... A new guest, and his name is Keegan Zemer. Keegan, how you doing, man? Good, how are you? Doing good. You know, you and I work together now, and I want to get into basically what you do with us and what you have done in the past to kind of get you to where you're at now with us. Mm -hmm. So if you could just elaborate more on that. Yeah, yeah, we've worked together. I think it's like a year, Yeah. what, in a month? It's been, It's we're coming up on a year, yep. Yeah, Um. so... I used to work for Cabela's um, in the digital department, kind of all over doing some Google advertising, um, bounced all over the place with that, and then wanted to get more into storytelling. I love telling stories. I love content creation. I like shooting photos. I love looking at photos and just the the story that somebody can tell through photo or video. I think that's the coolest part. And I was so buried in data all the time that I was like, I got to get out of here. I need to do something different. So we had a position on the social team that opened up and I jumped at it, was on the social team there for a while. And then the way that things work, it's the people that you meet, the people that you know, and we got put in touch. Um, And it was to do some, you know, side work for the Kiefer brothers. Mm -hmm. I was like, heck yeah, that'd be freaking awesome. On the social side of things. On the social side of things. Yeah. Um, so helping out running kind of the content calendar, day-to-day posting things um, of that nature. So, you know, you were my 
point of contact, giving me all the pictures, video, hey, this is what's going on, this is what we're doing, keeping me up with the story that's happening in Chris and Casey's life. So the middleman, and then it just evolved. And that's what I didn't realize, how social media was so powerful until I met you, really. I mean, you know it's one of those things that's part of our everyday life, but especially in the outdoor industry and how powerful it is and how much people really rely on it to brand themselves or brand a thing or a company such as like a Cabela's, you know, it's, that is huge in what they're doing and try to get the word out there. And the same thing with Chris and Casey, you know, we're trying to, trying to build their brand as the Kiefer bros and, you know, be a live side as well and try to do all that. And it's a full day, full time job i yeah. mean you're on facebook and social media every day aren't you all the time all yeah. the time and and that's the thing everybody's like oh well i post to facebook i could do social media and it's so much more than that right like it's you know tagging your partners trying to tell the best story you can and like you said it's a full-time job and for chris and casey to do everything that they need to do on a daily basis and then run a facebook page too it's just no you know people don't have time to to do all that, I think, for yeah. the most part. Especially when you get to the point of you have a production house and you have a marketing arm and mm -hmm. you're doing all these other shoots and things like that. So, Well, and also what I didn't understand is the analytics side of things and when to post. There's certain times of day to post to make it more effective. And there's, you know, hashtags that you need to use and putting hashtags in your comments and stuff. Like the, all these little integral parts of that like might separate you from someone else you know a lot of people just think and i was one of them throw a post up there put a couple hashtags on it name it something or you know caption something cool and then it, you know you'll get 100 and 200 300 likes well it's not that's yeah. not it yeah i mean you can have the coolest picture video whatever it is and if you're just throwing it up there without any rhyme or reason behind it it does nothing. You need right. wind, you need sales, you need wind and, and that's kinda like what it is is you know, like you said, time of day. People are on their phones right. when they wake up in the morning, right after they get to work, hopefully not while they're driving to work, and then when they get home and when they go to bed. So looking yep. at stuff like that, like you're saying, time of day and then just if you if you get bored on Instagram or whatever it is and you're searching yep. what you like to do, you're searching different hashtags or, exactly. or topics and that's how you, people find yeah, and people follow hashtags. Like, they can follow the Kiefer Bros hashtag. So every time Kiefer Bros gets hashtag, it'll come up on their feed on Instagram or something, which I think that's pretty cool, too. And I didn't know much about that either. So yeah. I'm learning as we go. But I'm glad you're doing it and not me because it's it's a job, and I would have to gouge my eyeballs out being on <laughs> social media all the time. It's funny. It's Yeah, I mean, I get home, and there's a lot of times where I'm like, I I don't want to be on it personally right. anymore because yeah. I sit and look at it all day, but it's still cool. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a tool. It's a tool for businesses. Mm -hmm. It's a tool for, you know, growing your own brand and everything. And it's like, I've met people through social media. Right. You yeah. know what I mean? It's um, good networking. It is. It's amazing networking. And if you go into it with like the, the philosophy that you're going to be who you are and you're going to be genuine and you want right. to meet people and you want to, get to know them, whatever, it's it's awesome for that. Yeah. So Well cool. I mean that kinda tees up, you know, what you're doing with us and what and what you do on a day to day. Now let's kinda jump back. Like you know, where did you come from? Where you know, we're in Michigan now, but you you're not a Michigan native. Kinda kinda set that stage, like how you were brought up hunting and, and what you did and, and uh basically where you were 
you're from. Yeah. Um, Michigan now for about four months. Before that, I was in Denver. And then before that, it was Wisconsin. So going all the way back to my early days in Wisconsin, um, I grew up hunting and fishing uh, whitetail, turkey, smallmouth, walleye, panfish, whatever. Loved it. Um, probably where I'm unique is my hunting partner was always my mom mm -hmm. when I was growing up. So I thought that was really cool. Like she would take me out when I, I think I was like five or six and I was sitting in the gun stand with her and I would just lay on the floor, you know, <laughs> lay down by the yep. heater. She'd make sure I had candy bars and snacks and whatever. Yep. And then it would be like, Oh, I, you know, pass out, take a nap. And so I grew up hunting with her. Um, still remember her first turkey that we sat in the blind together, called in. It was, it was amazing. Every, every year I try to get back and, and turkey hunt with my mom. Mm -hmm. She's like, it's to me, if I never shot another bird again, but I could go back and call in a turkey yeah. time for her every year, I would do it. Um, so yeah, I grew up in Wisconsin, went to college in La Crosse, Wisconsin on the Mississippi river. Um, still did a lot of hunting. I drove back almost every weekend to, to be in a bow stand during the fall, fished on the Mississippi river. And then after school, it was, I wanted to find a job in the outdoor industry yep. and it was probably three or four months that I was looking for jobs and I could not find what I thought was what I wanted. And I was starting to, you know, I was at home with my mom and my stepdad and my brother and I was getting cabin fever, and I just said, you know what, I'm going to take the restrictions off. I had applied for a job in Green Bay, Wisconsin, uh, behind the gun counter at Cabela's. And I was like, what if I take off location and see what happens? And I did, and there was an internship at Cabela's in Denver. And I was like, I don't know. I never really thought about right. Colorado or Denver. Yep. And uh, it wasn't even a week later I got a phone call and asked about a um, – an interview and I said sure and she's like well can you do it right now and I was actually in a gander mountain at the time and I was like <laughs> <laughs> I was like yeah sure that's fine so I you know was talking to um he was the director of digital and I had to actually leave gander mountain and go take the call from my truck and it went great and they called me the next day and said can you be in Denver in three weeks so holy shit yeah <laughs> that's quick <laughs> yeah it was uh it was really fast I had to try to find an apartment I'd never been to Denver before yeah they gave me like look in these little suburbs looking this is where you're gonna be working um found an apartment you know sight on scene had to pick it online book it and expensive probably oh yeah oh yeah for an intern I think my first apartment was like 13 or 1400 bucks and I was like how am I gonna do this but right. it was three months and you know I didn't know but I was right. like I gotta do this this yep. was gonna be awesome so so and that opened up more doors for you as well as far as hunting because then you took up elk hunting as well right yeah so I mean I kind of want to get into that here in a little bit but that also brought on something that I want to get into that's relevant right now, which is your mountain turkey hunt that you went on last year, which is super cool to me because I've never done it before, and it was just cool how, how it all went down. You and I have kind of talked about it you know, off record. I'd really like to dive into that. So let's kind of tee that up. Like what uh, what brought up the idea, and and, and how, how do you mountain hunt turkeys, I guess? Yeah, it. I had never even thought of it either. You don't really think of turkeys being up in the mountains. I mean... I guess you kind of just figure they are, but I had a, a friend that I had met through work and he's one of my really good buddies now. His name's Kyle Broughton and he had done it a couple of years and been successful, but wasn't, I, I don't think that he was like a 
crazy avid turkey hunter. It was more of like they were up there scouting for elk, looking for sheds, whatever, during the spring, and we're hearing gobbles and stuff, and, and it had obviously been turkey hunting, you know, in Nebraska before, but weren't like hardcore into it. Right. And so they started applying, and it actually takes points up in the area where they hunt, so it's a... I think you can hunt it every other year or every three years okay. is where you're going to, how often you're going to draw a turkey tag there. And we started hunting together more and more. And right away, like I'm a, I'm a person where I didn't want to invite myself. Um, I hunted with him a few to the first time I ever hunted with him was just, I went out and I wanted to film and I was like, I just got to see what this is about. And as an elk hunt, it was crazy, but we started hunting together a lot more. And eventually he's like, Hey, start just put in for a turkey tag let's you know you can come along and last year was the first year that i drew that tag so it was okay. he and i both drew the tag and again it you know i hate to i don't like to invite myself on stuff like that that's not me but he said let's go i have a tag too i'm like okay you're first shooter it's this is you're you're bringing me out here right. this isn't my deal this is yours let's do it so we went out they have a, it's, it's all public land, but it's private access through okay. um, a friend of his dad's so we can actually get out away from where the parking lot is a little yep. bit easier. And we walked around for the first day and didn't hear, didn't see anything, but they have this, it's like a drainage. So it drops way down off of the side of a, a face and then there's a stream that runs through and then there's this bottom and they call it Turkey Hollow. Okay. And it's like a, a field where cattle kind of come down it's there. It's like off. a cattle pasture. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They come off the sage flats and it's a low area. Cattle drinks there, everything like that. And that's where they've sat in the past and, and done really well. Obviously, call it Turkey Hollow. So they're like, all right, well, let's set up a tent here and we'll come in in the morning. Were yeah. you hunting with a, a gun or a bow? Bow. Okay. Um, both Kyle and I had a bow. And we, uh, his dad was with us just to be along on the thing. His dad's awesome. And uh, he carried a shotgun just okay. in case one of us were like, you know, give us a shotgun. Right. Um, so we set up the turkey tent that night uh, or that afternoon and then came back in the morning. And I think as we were walking out that day, we heard a gobble and we're like, okay, good. We got something going on in the morning. In the morning, we get into the tent. It's still dark, and they're hammering, like hammering up on this ridge that's above us. Ridge like a mountain. It's like a, a mountain. mountain. It's a mountain. Yeah, I mean, it's it's what you picture in Colorado, and it's a mountain. Yeah, it's two. It's got to be two hundred yards up, and it is just. I mean, we're sitting there, and you peek out the top of the tent. You're looking up there, and you can just see tree lines, sun starting to come out, yep. and that's where the gobbling's coming from. Okay. Is up on top of this hill, and. uh were you thinking that they were going to pitch off down into your little set or do you think they were going to like, yeah, well, I mean like that was the crazy idea is like, how cool would this be? And the more realistic idea was that they were going to kind of come down the little, walk down the little ravine and then end up yep. funneling into us right. down here. Um, none of that actually happened. <laughs> we're still hearing gobbling and all of a sudden we start hearing drumming, which anybody who turned yep. knows like, Oh, it, they're close. Th they're too. here. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're within our presence here. Yeah, and Kyle peeks out. He's on the left side, or I'm on the left side. He's on the right side. I'm running a camera. His dad's sitting in the middle, and I peek out the left window, and here comes a Tom fanned out by himself. By himself, coming right into the decoys. I'm like Kyle, get your bow. He's right here. He's coming. Um, and it was funny, he gets right into the decoys, and Kyle told me I could say this, but he flings the first arrow and completely misses. <laughs> <laughs> and 
probably like 15 to 17 yards. <laughs> and the bird actually comes faster into the decoys after he, like, it just got startled and ran in even faster and no, starts attacking the tom decoy. No, not to get too far off track, but you've hunted Easterns and you've hunted Merriams. Uh-huh. You're hunting Merriams out there. Yeah. So what is the, the differences of them? Are they dumber? I've heard they're dumber birds. Like, they're easier to call, easier. Like, is that true? I mean, Easterns are tough. They are tough. They are really tough. And I I would say that more than anything, these, especially these birds here, probably don't get hunted near as much as the average okay. bird by, by so, us. Yep. So, yeah, they, they are more receptive to a call, okay. I think. Although that tom, this Tom didn't gobble or anything. He he never made a noise. We didn't even know he was down on the ground with us. We are still hearing him up top of the ridge. Yep. But that... They're just, they're different. The year before, I, I went out with him and his brother-in-law, and we had Tom's Goblin, and we're going up the sage flat after him, and all of a sudden, it's like 9, 10 in the morning, and we see two turkeys fly back up in the roost, and it was two Toms that oh, just flew weird. back up in a tree. So I don't know if it was like a predator or, hmm. but they're up there, I'm like, man, I, I don't know how to figure them out. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's just what I've heard. I've never hunted Miriam's, but... Beautiful bird, probably the most Gorgeous. beautiful out of all of them to me, anyway. Yeah. But uh, and that's one of the unique things about hunting a turkey with a bow is if you miss, usually they don't freak out too much, you know. Mm-hmm. Or even if you kill one, because I've killed eight birds with my bow now, and every one, like I've had, well, not every one, I've had a few. It'll just flop around, you know, and then the other ones will just come in and just start beating the tar out yeah. of them. You can usually double up, yeah. which is nice. So. It's cool. It's so cool. And but anyway, he missed, so. He missed, and it keeps, it, like I said, it runs into the decoys even faster. So it was outside of the decoys, but, you know, walking in kind of slow, fanning, unfanning. And, uh, yeah, it runs into the decoys, and the next one, he he smoked it, and it ran and, you know, we're high-fiving, whatever, and he runs out and goes and grabs it, throws it behind the tent, and he's like, all right, it's your turn. They're, they're still up there. They're in the roost, or they have they come down yet? We we thought that they had to be down, but it, it levels out up top a little bit, and there's kind of a meadowy area, and we're like, well, maybe they're up there with some hens. But, there's, I mean, they're still gobbling as yep. he's walking out to get his bird. You can't see up there. They can't see down unless they're right at this edge. So... We we switch spots. I get my bow out in front of me, and he gets behind the camera, and we're still like just you know reliving it because I'm like, man, that's freaking, that's so cool. Um, and then the gobbling continues, and I start calling a little bit, and we're looking out, and all of a sudden, right over the top, we see this this Tom silhouette yeah. himself right over the top of the ridge, and he just lets out another gobbling. We're like, man. He's hot. He's looking, yeah. and there was no hens, anything like that. And uh, it was like a movie. It was like you know when a in those movies where it's like a firebolt or something, and then it busts out, and it's a flying bird. It's a majestic bird. Yeah, it <laughs> yeah. was exactly like that. I'm like, oh my gosh! And it pitched off the hill and just soared down from you know, 200 yards above, over the top of the decoys, out to the right, spin, hits the ground, spins, and goes into a fan like right away. We're like. Wow. So he saw your decoy spread down there, yeah. and he's like, "I got to get down there." And he just pitched right off the hill. That's awesome. It was so cool. Um, yeah, I wish we could have got that on camera because <laughs> it was. I mean, the th- it felt like we watched it forever, just soar right, right down over. You know, they don't beat their wings or anything, but he came right in, um, started coming into decoys, and like Tom's do, they kind of 
get out and he got a little little hesitant and he turned away and I was like, man, I'm not going to get a chance to do it. And all of a sudden he spun back, got in the decoys and I shot him and, um, you know, he flopped and then he didn't die right away. He pocked, uh, poked his head back up and I got nervous, grabbed a shotgun, whiffed on him once. <laughs> he went running away and I just went booking, like, I'm like, I we have to double up today. This yeah. is such a cool thing. It was within 10 minutes of him shooting his bird, going right. and grabbing it, and we're in the mountains, and it's beautiful, and we both have bows, and so I go running out with the shotgun, and this thing is, like, trying to cross the stream now, and I've, I'm like, okay, and finished it and yeah. grabbed it out, but it was it was so cool. So where'd you hit him with the bow? I hit him, so he was turned a little bit sideways, and I hit him a little bit low. Okay, so, so right through the breast probably? I think it was just back of that, so okay. it was, like, lower lower organs but yeah yeah i mean had i left him i think it would have been fine but i you know Mm -hmm. i've had too many get away um with the not myself i've seen them where they get away with the bow and they can just run and then you don't find them and i didn't want that to happen yeah it's tricky i mean i've shot like i said i've shot quite a few birds with a bow and i've you know i've never really had them go far i mean i've had one kind of fly a little bit but like it was done deal but i've only ever shot him in the wing bone i've never shot him in the front never shot him in the back you know like uh, as they say up the butt kind of thing that's a good yeah. way to shoot him too yeah. but uh i always go for that wing bone and seem to break him down and kill him right there so yeah, yeah. I mean, it's pretty cool i'm gonna i'm gonna try to get the bow back out again this year because last year i shot two birds with a shotgun i went on an eight-year stretch where i, I killed birds with a bow every year and then i'm like i'm gonna get the shotgun out killed two birds with a shotgun so this year it's like I'm going to go bow again, but I, I'm thinking about doing a no blind, just like straight no Cherokee style. That's, that would be cool. That's what I want to do. Really cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. I'm hoping so. But I mean, so you're out in Denver, mm-hmm. you're, you've taken up turkey hunting. Now you're getting to elk hunting. So what was your elk hunting experience like, like gearing up for your first elk hunt, never doing it before? Like what, you know, what's that like? Yeah, um, my first elk hunt, uh, it was actually great, like absolutely crazy. So I was telling you, I had never done it before. I just wanted to go out and see what it was about. And I had just gotten brought on at Cabela's full-time after my internship. Kyle um, and two guys I worked with had all drawn tags, so they had a bull tag and two cow tags. And it was going to be the three of them, maybe Kyle's dad, and I was like, can I please come along and just film this thing? I was like, I just want to walk along. I want to be out there and see what this is about. I have no idea. So he's like, yeah, sure. Totally fine. Um, we meet up at one of the guy's houses, pack the truck, get up there. We're getting all of our stuff ready the night before. And my camel bag did not get thrown in the truck. (laughs) (laughs) So I get there and I have a duffel bag with my t-shirt, sweatpants, like my my street clothes. Yep. And I had my camera, which was good as a little Sony Handycam, but I don't have my boots. I don't have any of my camo, and we're going out on an elk hunt for the next couple of days. You're going to spike out. You're not going to come back to the truck or anything? We, uh, we were staying at uh, the house that's out there. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, we would come back there, sleep at night, but then out for the, the entire day, and I don't have any of my stuff. So I get some of Kyle's old boots that he had at his dad's house. His dad had some old, I wore like 
army pants. They were like old <laughs> army surplus <laughs> pants for this thing. And I still am trying to get a hold of them because I think they're cool. But then I got a backpack and, uh, yeah, just like a bunch of whatever I could string Randoms. together. Yeah. So the first day we're out, we're out walking around. We split up two and two and, uh, we're not seeing a ton, but it was glassing that morning. I th that's when I saw my first elk and it was a cow and she was walking through a meadow and I'm like, man, that's cool. And she was yeah. probably 300 yards away. Um, not much happened the rest of that day. And I'm like, wow, oh, man, this is a lot of walking, a lot of hiking. This is tough. And Kyle's dad came out that night and from the top of the ridge had glassed a bunch of cows and some bulls down in, it was actually in Turkey Hollow. Oh, so okay. he came to the house that night and was like, we got to split up. This is what we got to do in the morning. It's going to. What was the game plan? Like, what were you trying to, what were they trying to formulate? So there's Turkey Hollow and then to the uh, west of that is where this, it starts sloping uphill. Mm -hmm. And then the other side, it slopes uphill. So it's like this this natural funnel they were gonna there was two guys that were gonna come in from the top and then two guys that were gonna wrap all the way around it and come in from the bottom and just figure that we'd cover that entire sage flat gotcha so i was i went with the two guys that were going around the top and going to come in to the bottom on the actual sage flat not go down through turkey hollow and push up i picked the right group Did you? <laughs> yeah yeah we get up that morning and we get to the saddle and uh we dropped down and we're starting to walk through the trees and it was these it's it's scrub oak is what i don't know if that's what you actually call it that's what i call it now too yep. but it's these s small scrubby oak trees everywhere and amongst the sage and uh we were walking through it walking through it starting to see some fresh sign or whatever and then all of a sudden um kyle had split and went one way and uh the other guy went the other way and we start seeing flashes through the, like moving slow through the scrub oak. And I'm with um, my other buddy and I'm behind him filming. And all of a sudden we see, I see antlers. I had that on, on film through the scrub oak and it's a pretty decent bull. But then hear a gunshot, chaos, and right down this little shooting lane that we're looking, another cow stops right there. And so the guy in front of me, shoots doubled up two cows it was like oh, just no. absolute craziness because we're he's waiting on this bull you know he's he's on his shooting sticks waiting for this bull to maybe show itself boom gunshot just chaos turns down this other shooting lane and it just it stopped like it was meant to be she just stopped right there and looked at us and he dropped her right there that's like, crazy it was it was crazy so we packed those two out and then uh yeah, celebrated that, and then the next morning we're like, all right, well, we'll. I mean, we know they're on this hillside. We'll go back, and so the other two, the other two guys went. And I followed them the next day, and it was like, we were in the garage that morning, and I hadn't hunted before, but I didn't like that I was carrying weight, and I'm like, right. man, I'm like, do you think? Do I need my rain gear? And he's like, I don't know. I mean, it's not that heavy, but I'm carrying, like, my launch and some camera right. gear and whatever else. And I'm like, nah, I'm going to leave it. So I left it oh, in the garage. Oh, boy. It starts downpouring at about 9 a.m. <laughs> but as soon as it started downpouring, they started bugling like crazy. And this is in October. And so like, it's a gun hunt. It's late. It's a rifle. Yeah, it's, it's rifle late. hunt. So yeah. that's not typical. But mm -hmm. they, I mean, they are absolutely going crazy. There's at least two bulls in this group just hammering and this is my first time hearing bugles 
and it's like downpouring and it's like you just feel it and i'm like this is awesome like i was i was hooked from that and then we start seeing elk pour off this that hillside in turkey mm-hmm. hollow and you just spot them and we're like man they're gonna come that was private land and they're coming on to public and we're like this is this is gonna work well we get to the edge and they're down on the neighbors who's private land and just going crazy and we could hear not him, coming on public we, we couldn't get to yeah him. so we had to back out did that and uh actually that night we we went back to the same spot and where that turkey pitched down from we that's where the bull came so we had a bull that was going nuts kyle's dad had come back out he's a lot better caller than any of us were like we have bulls in here they're going nuts this morning we need help can you please <laughs> yeah. can you come out and help us and he did and the way that it worked out it was yeah this bull just comes down off the hillside he's down in the meadow i wasn't by kyle at the time but all of a sudden we hear a gunshot and uh i'm sitting behind the guy that i was filming and i just take off on a dead sprint i'm like i gotta see i gotta see what's going on and i get down to him and it's it's down in this meadow and he had hit it but he hit it he hit it in the leg low he hit it low so he shot again and missed and he's gonna hate that i say that he he missed but he did (laughs) and then we start tracking and we get down to this meadow and all of a sudden in the brush we hear just like branches breaking whatever i'm like it's got to be that bull and we hear it run down through turkey Hollow. can hear the creek and uh it starts to hit this hillside that's facing away from us it's going up the hill and i'm not kidding it's the best shot i've ever seen in my entire life i i will find this video of it this elk is running up this valley. It's got to be 300 yards, and he freehands it and drops it right on the side of the hill. Holy cow. It was the coolest. <laughs> I, I lost Hail Mary. It, it, it seriously was, and we looked at it too, and, like, had he not hit it on that one, the elk would have lived. He, like, he the first one was, like, a, like up, it was just above the, the, knee, joint, the, the knee, knee or yeah. the joint yeah. of the elk. Yep. It would have been fine. Wow. And then he drops it right there. How big was he? He was a six by six. Really? Yeah, good bull. I mean, I'd never seen whatever. So the day before, I see two cows. I'm like, man, these are huge. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get up to this bull, and he's even bigger. And I'm like, this is unreal. That's like, crazy. So cool. You know, we broke it down, and then we it was dark out by the time this happened. So we're carrying it out at night by headlamp. Yep. And it was like tough and awesome, though. I mean, like pack, the, the pack out was it's it's the best part to me well it's like bittersweet right yeah you know you're doing it with everybody and yeah i've got to film never been on an elk hunt but i got to film them and got to pack out one elk so that was kind of like the same like you worked 10 days for this on public land and you know finally kill one and pack it out it's like that bittersweet moment and i've packed out other animals too like in alaska and it's like you've got a long hike and you just reminisce about it. You don't even care about the weight on your yeah. back usually. And the pain doesn't matter. Yep. Yeah. Yep. The blisters don't matter. And throw some more moleskin on your feet and just keep going, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, that's cool. Now, you know, transition a little bit. So the next year after that, you got your first elk tag, right? Mm-hmm. And you went in with your bow. And what happened then? <sighs> I. It still haunts you, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. <clears throat> I, uh was with uh, he was my he wasn't my roommate at the time but i lived with him my later part of living in colorado and uh we were 
we were I was out there for like three or four days in another spot, not having anything happen. He was actually still at work for Cabela's, and I text him, and I'm like, dude, it is so bad. He had shot a bull earlier in the season, like way early, and was done. And he's like, man, that happened quick. I, yep. He wanted to be out there, so I texted him. I was like, I need some help. Can you, can you help me? And he he did. He was like, yeah, I got a spot. We're gonna go there. I'll call. Um, and we get there, and the f- the first two days, it's the wind's blowing like crazy. You can't hear anything. Um, but then the the second morning we heard a bugle and we're like, if we're hearing a bugle right now through this wind, it can't be that far away. We go, we chase these, these elk for probably two hours in the morning and it's three bulls and a herd of cows. And this is end of September. So by this time they're pretty herded up yep. and sticking to their cows and everything. And, uh, they hit a hillside with like a marshy wallow area below it that we had just come trudging through to try to cut them off but they dipped up up top of us we're like well we can't go through there they'll see us um they're walking this hillside so we ducked way below came back up on the hill and we're like all right well they're either to our left and we're out in front of them or they're to our right we're behind them we're starting to find fresh sign and uh david's like let's go up this trail just a little bit and I'm going to set up and call. And I was like, okay, fine. And I turn around, take two steps, and I look up the trail, and there's three cows sitting there staring at us. I'm like, oh, no. Drop down to drop down to our knees, and they bolted. And then, like, with that was just commotion. All of a sudden, David. Elk all over. Yeah, elk all over. David starts calling, uh, doing some cow calls. We have a bull that just rips off a bugle and i was i had a buddy from wisconsin one of my best friends from high school his name's ryan that came along and he saw the bull and i i didn't but he's sitting there with his hands going oh my god like big bull (laughs) big bull and my buddy david grabs his hands he's like stop moving (laughs) grabs his hands and throws them down and then so we're all starting to look over our left shoulders up this hill like this bull's moving up behind us and david bugles and then a a bugle comes from right below us and I turn back, we all turn back and here's this bull coming up the hill and it's 30 yards getting closer and closer. And it's all these little pines that are in there, big pines and little pines. So there's a bunch of undergrowth and he gets to 19 yards or something like that. And all I can see are his feet and his every once in a while when he puts his head down, I can just see his antlers underneath all this. And I'm like, Holy cow turns to his right, starts walking and it's just, line of trees after line of trees after line of trees i'm like i'm not gonna get a shot so Mm -hmm. i stand up on this trail these two are still kneeling down and i'm looking and i'm like i saw it and it was an opening that was maybe like a foot wide by three feet tall yeah a gap and i'm like if he walks through there that's my only shot otherwise he's walking and he gets right before that and stops and i drop back and it felt like i mean any hunter's been there like you feel like you've been drawn back for a minute forever it was long enough for one of those two to look at me and be like, what's going on? <laughs> so all of a sudden he steps and I let it, I just, I like blacked out. I let it go. I couldn't see my arrow. I just, I lost it. And, uh, David was like, did you hit him? I'm like, I have no idea. I, I have no idea the range that he was at. Right. I guessed for 30 yards. Um, yeah i i don't know and we sat down and like it was excitement i was 
about crying. I'm like, I can't believe. I don't know if I hit him, but I yeah. like the whole thing the was whole just experience. holy cow. And uh, 15 minutes went by, and this is like one of the biggest lessons that I learned elk hunting. And I think you learn lessons all the time when you're hunting. But I looked at David, and I was like, can I go just to see if I can see my arrow? And he's like, uh, yeah, sure, whatever. And I was like, I just want to see if I find it there, and I'll I'll stand down there and have you range me because if it's 30 yards and I guess 30 yards from my pin, I'm going to feel a lot better about the shot, right. even if I can't find my arrow. So I start walking down the hill, and I get probably 15 yards down the hill, kind of starting to look on the ground, and I look up, and there's the bull standing, standing, there. standing there looking at me. And I left my bow sitting up on the trail with those two. Jeez. That is like, don't ever leave your bow. Everybody one, knows that. Don't leave no, your bow. Yeah, or your gun, no yep. matter if you're in Colorado, if you're in Wisconsin, Michigan, whatever. Like, if you're gun hunting here and you got to go down and take a leak during the middle of the day, like take rifle your, season. Take your weapon. You take your weapon yeah. down there with you. That wasn't the first time I've learned that lesson, so hopefully I get it this next time. Anyway, he turns and runs, and we go back, and then we give we give him an hour. We're like, okay, that that wasn't good. Could you see anything on him? Any holes, any blood? No, he's facing straight at me, so I could see it's like him just staring me in the eyes, and I just dropped to the ground and like tried to lay as flat as I could, thinking... Maybe he won't see me, right. but he had. Yep. Um, yeah, he ran. Uh, after an hour, it had snowed the night before. So we still, this was a north-facing slope, still had some snow on this, this slope. And uh, we go up and find my knock. That was the first thing we found. I'm really? Like, well, that's weird. And then uh, find a couple drops of blood. And then after that, like the floodgates opened up. We're finding blood on both sides of the the trail in the snow and we get to uh you know we're tracking them and at one point we find my arrow and it is covered there's bubbles up on the fletching is it full like you didn't yeah. break the arrow off or didn't, nothing? didn't break it off nothing like past it must have at that point it had passed through or he pulled it out or whatever but like i said bubbles and i could not have been more happy and david looked at me he's like we're walking up on this thing here pretty quick and we track it down into that wallow marshy area that I was talking about and just like that blood's gone and there's tracks everywhere and it's wet and we're like where where do you go where do we go there's blowdowns around probably 180 degrees of it and we check that check everything and we looked for I think it was like six hours or something and never found another drop of blood never found him nothing and then hunted for two more days and every time we'd go by that area you know i'd walk around it a different way and whatever and never found him so you never found him but you go back this year and you find something right yeah i found a a dead head that i'm pretty sure is him it was 357 yards away uphill which people always say oh if you you know you shoot an animal and it's hurt it's not going uphill it's going you're gonna it's gonna follow contours or whatever this was uphill and it was close and again i never saw this bull for like long enough to to look at him and go yep he's a six by six and i know i didn't know what his rack looked like like the times i saw him was through the trees he was staring at me i dropped to the ground as fast as i could that was all i had ever seen of him i knew he was he was a good bull Mm -hmm. and then we're walking david and i again this year and we're walking this hillside and uh 
I spot like a joint of a leg and I look at David and I'm like something something went down around here and he's like look around maybe find the rest of it and uh sure enough see up the hill I see two more leg joints and uh, I'm walking around and it was this like half circle of small pine trees and I come around the edge of it and there, it's just this giant rack deadhead and it had tucked its head down into these trees like it you know like it went in there to to hide yep. and and died so i can't be 100 percent sure that that was the elk that i had shot but we that was a good bull though too that was a good bull yeah. yeah so that was it was like i would like to say it's closure but i don't know for sure if it's him either way it was it was cool to find i would like to believe it is because it would help make me feel a little bit better but right so you think ultimately, I mean, even with whitetails or any sort of animal, you walking up there is kind of what you, that's the reason why you probably didn't get him. Yeah. Cause I mean, with the, with the amount of blood that he lost, yeah. do you, I mean, he, you think he's, he's de- a dead he elk? He died. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that it, that it, that's a dead elk. Yeah. The bubble, I mean, unless something crazy were to happen, like the, the amount of bubbles that we found on that the fletchings and the the end of the shaft of the arrow there was like it if even if it was a single lung i just yeah. have a hard time believing that that thing lived with the amount of blood, blood it lost and that's the same thing with whitetails too like you said a lot of people are like oh they they won't run uphill or they won't you know they're going to try to go downhill or but let's be honest i mean we've never been in a situation where we've had an arrow or a bullet in us so yeah you know i got a feeling that if you've got an arrow with a broadhead cutting in, in you that you're just going to go wherever you go. Like, yeah, like there's no plan. No, like the elk's not going to sit there and look up that mountain and be like, well, hell I'm not going up yeah, there, you know, <laughs> but maybe he got himself in a situation where he had blow downs on his right or left. And that was the only way he could go, you know, was up. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I, I don't know. That's what, I just don't put m- much merit into that. Every situation's different. So, you know, the more blood trails that you can be on, the more you're going to learn, in my opinion. And, you know, I've had deer run uphill and then back downhill and then back uphill. And it's like, yeah, where's this thing going? And I've had ones do figure eights and, and do circles. And I hit a, I hit a deer a couple of years ago in the liver with a bow and I went after her too quick and yeah. walked up on her as she's bedded. And I'm like, well, I got to back out. I backed out for like six hours and come back and, we like to uh, have markers that so we take markers that are like biodegradable, so you can leave them mm-hmm. in the woods. And toilet, stuff. So paper we, toilet paper, toilet paper, yeah. yeah. So when you're tracking, well, when we were tracking, we'd come and we'd pass the toilet paper that we had come in. We'd passed it four times. We kept going back and forth, and we're like, "What the hell?" Like, we're but we're only covering about a hundred yard area. She literally, I mean, looking back at it now, when we found her, she just was doing circles. In yeah. that area. Didn't want to lay down or Did something. not want, yeah, it was just like uncomfortable and she wasn't feeling good, obviously. And yeah. It makes me feel terrible, but, yeah. you know, it's just one of those things like I just think they're going to do what they're going to do and, right. you know, there's no plan, I don't think. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, like I said, just be on more blood trails than, you know, if you have a buddy that's like, help hey, me. help. Go help. You know, can I go help? You know, I want to see, you know, you learn something new on every, every, yeah. every blood trail. So, but. And the weight thing, I mean, that's for me, like, I don't, I don't care what it is that I'm hunting going forward aside from maybe Turkey. Like I'm going to play by the hour rule yeah. at the very least. Like 
give it an hour to see what's going to happen and then go assess it. Right. But even 15, like, and that's the thing with elk too. And you, that's like a common thing is after you shoot, if you're with somebody, if you're by yourself, you should start cow calling right away. Cause mm -hmm. with a, with a bow and arrow, a lot of times you hear like, they don't know what just happened. Right. So you can get their interest back right away, and then they'll just sit there. So much adrenaline rolling. It could have been another bull come up and spar them or something. Right. Yeah. So that I mean, he may have just set. He may have just stood there until he either tipped over or laid down, and then just you right. know, expired. But yeah, it's a crazy thing, man. Yeah. Th those blood trails. I will. S I mean, any blood trail that you're ever on is like. I always. It's such a tough feeling it is you know what i mean like yep. i did it this year with jim abbott on the blood trails i'm like because i watched him walk off the field knowing it was a high hit mm -hmm. and when we i mean i waited like nine hours or something like that i waited all day shot him wow. in the morning and didn't go back until like right at last light that night and didn't find much blood and i mean everybody else knows the story you know he yeah. survived and it was just a bad hit like yeah so it's so hard to call it off too. It really and is. You are, I think, uh, you know, if you've been there, which you will at some point or whatever, like you, there's a point where you're following it. And I think you just start to kind of know. Yeah. And that is the worst feeling in the yep. world. And, but you keep pushing and usually you have people helping you and it's like, it's getting late and it's like, you don't want these people to be I out know. here too. And it's yeah. like, so that is a hard one to pull the plug and like, when do you do it? But I don't know, man. We've all been there. You know, everybody's yeah. lost a deer or an animal, and if you haven't, then you've been haven't been hunting long enough because it will happen. So yeah, as long as you learn from it, I guess is the main thing. Mm -hmm. So, well, to wrap it up here, I've got one more that I want to get into, and that's uh, so you know we just kind of wrapped up Denver. You know, after last year, you got the job with us, moved to Michigan. Now, you know, you just bought land with ten acres, huntable and everything, uh, timber on it. And uh, we're starting it from square one. So yeah. break down your 10 acres, and I want to know what's, uh, what do we got to do here to get it going. Yeah. Um, so I moved here with uh, my girlfriend, and we bought a house, and it's on 10 acres. Um, it's a really kind of weird parceled piece. It's very narrow and long. So I live kind of near a, a wildlife refuge, which I think is going to bode pretty well yep. for me. Um, it's got fields that are over there. There's a river that's running through through it uh, with some swamp and hardwoods. So it's there's a good variety. My piece um, has swamp up front. It rolls up to the to the house and then it starts to drop back off behind the house a little bit and it gets really piney, small pine trees, probably about 12 feet. And then behind that, it jumps up onto like a pine knoll. Yep. So it's these big red pines that are back there. And then it rolls again behind that to swamp again where it pours into the creek behind. So where's your house on the property? Because I haven't been there yet. And I've, you know, we've been talking about wanting to go over there and walk it and everything, get a plan going. Mm -hmm. But like, where's your property set on the farm or on the piece? So the road, there's the road where it runs up to. And then my house, like I said, long, narrow. So from the road to the house is probably 300 yards. Okay. 400 yards from the main road from the main road yep and then there's another house that's kind of up on the main road that it go it juts out around so my house is up front and then i would say that the majority of the the property is back behind okay um, and that's all timber like in your front yard there's no timber in there the it's uh we probably have about 
40 to 50 yards of just grass around us okay. but it, it goes into woods gotcha. pretty darn quick and around the house it's it's mostly hardwoods so there's some big oak trees um maples and things like that we've we've been seeing deer in the yard and turkey the other day christy was uh watching tv and turns around and there's tur- like two hens right in there. the yard and i was like well that's a good thing so so what's what is what does your property have and what do you think it needs it certainly has um it has a water source i do know that I, there is a lot of water that's around us it's got good cover um in the back there's quite a few blowdowns um but i know it needs food food yeah i so know there's, there's no a food. bunch of food across the road but i don't have food for them yeah what's your plan like what do you want to do to kind of get food in there do you know what you know now with the I'm new Michigan you laws, you can't, you can't bait or anything. <laughs> I know, so I know. You can't be a baiter, see. Yeah, you can't. And my, it's pretty swampy around there, so I don't, I, I'm not sure. Is there any high ground? You said there was a yeah, pine knoll up pine, there. Yeah, it's pine, so I feel like that's going to be pretty acidic. Yeah. So my biggest thing is, like, we could get in there and do some hinge cutting to, yeah. to, to do a couple things, and that's, you know, make some more cover, but also be able to get, you know, open that canopy up a little bit, maybe get some, some new grasses up and growing that they can, you know, browse on in the property. And then maybe just even go in there and open up like a little eighth acre spot where you can put a little food plot, you know, like a little destination plot, because, you know, you know, I've looked at the property on, you know, on X and stuff like that. And across the road from you adjacent, there is ag fields that nobody can hunt. And, you know, the deer are yarding up in there because you've seen them. So, and you've got a nice little pinch on one of your corners in a, in a transition where they go through there, I think, from aerial. But I can't wait to get on the ground and go see it. Yeah. Um, but this is what I love the most is, yeah. like, these little acres. Uh, you know, last week I talked to Matt Zoll, and he has 10 acres over in the west side of Michigan. And he was hunting and on that and, and doing a lot of improvements to make his 10 acres really good. And, and he's now, on his destination plot, he's getting, like, 15 to 20 deer at a time on it and it's like right next to his driveway that's so you know so and that might be an option for me actually i just don't know how much i need to pay attention a little bit more to sunlight to see what i'm getting yeah and that that's one thing i can vouch for and you know the the piece my personal piece the one acre that i've been doing stuff in is like there was no there it was all canopy was up high and there was just you know no grasses or nothing on the floor on the forest floor since I've done hinge cutting the last two years, I mean, grass is getting up waist high now That's where they can awesome. bed in it. I've never had rabbits in there before. Now I've got rabbits up the yin-yang. <laughs> They're all over. And um, deer bedding in it, I can plant. I just did some frosting in there. I've done clover. But they're browsing, and all that canopy that's up 50, 60, 70 feet is on the floor now. Trees are still living. They're woody browse. You know, they're they're eating on that, so that's food. And if you have oaks on the farm, you know, last year we had a really good acorn crop. And I don't know what it's going to be this year, but if you got some white oaks, red oaks, you know, they're going to like that too. So Yeah. Well, just like the funneling too, like, you know, obviously you, you've given me a lot of knowledge on hinge cutting, and I'm like, yeah, I know I need to do it. And when you have such a small parcel, I feel like being able to kind of direct where I want yep. the deer to go right. is going to be helpful. Yeah, and there's some different ways, in my opinion, that you can hinge cut. You know, you can hinge cut for access, in which that's what I did this year in the one acre, just strictly for a barrier so I can access more stands. 
Um, last year, I did a lot for betting, strictly betting and open up the canopy to get that, you know, that new successional growth. But, and there's different ways to cut that, you know, on how high you cut. I don't, you know, in my opinion, I don't think you need to cut anything that's like face, like your face or higher, you know, it's all lower than that, whether it's shin height, knee height, you know, and, and the different trees, there's a lot of trees you can't hinge, like they just like break off and um, it does suck though that because oaks are good hingers too and you want to keep the oaks (laughs) as well so you know we'll just have to go through there and look and see what you have and and just kind of formulate a plan but the cool thing is like on a small piece like that if we want to make if that is a funnel where we're talking on the corner we can make that where deer have to go through there even more you know like just kind of block off some and just make it funnel by one of your stands and that's what's fun and cool that's awesome yeah i'm looking forward to that We'll have to get over there and maybe do another podcast about how, you know, our our whole progression through yeah, this whole before thing. before and so, after. Yeah. <laughs> and we're getting in, like, you know, April now here. April 1st will be next week, um, about when this is dropping. But I, I like to get hinge cutting done before buds start popping. I mean, I know you can do it in there, but, you know, when the buds are going everything. But I like to do it before and just, you know, get everything set up but like i actually have hinge cuts from a couple years ago that all the shoots and everything come off the stump i can hinge those shoots now like yeah so they're like new trees that i can hinge again so that's awesome that's crazy you know you can experiment with paracord pulling some of those down you know and so we don't i mean we don't necessarily have to hinge trees either like if we find some little trees that we can pull over and you can put a stake in the ground and paracord it and then deer will use that as like a barrier as like a hinge cut as well so so many options so many <laughs> just got to get boots on the ground and look at it yeah so well i think we wrap it up man what uh how was your first podcast experience uh it was great thank you for having me <laughs> yeah. i i was a little bit nervous i've never done one before but yep. no it's really awesome so we'll i appreciate it, it yeah Well, cool. Um, Just everybody, reminder just to go to iTunes and leave a review and leave a five-star rating, if you will. And uh, as you could see, last Friday we did not have a coffee call because we are kind of pedaling back on the coffee calls right now. We're trying to formulate a plan where maybe that might be just a series we do throughout the winter. But now that it's getting warmer and everything, and and, uh, it's a lot to do two podcasts a week. So we are going to do it we're just trying to formulate a plan on how we're going to do it it's not going to be like an every week thing so just to update everybody through that i will let you know further once we know so again thanks for listening and uh hope everybody has a good week if you guys are in the market for new strings and cables this year go to americasbestbowstrings.com customize your new strings and cables and at checkout type in fall podcast to get ten dollars off orders $99 and over. So all you got to do is go to americasbestbowstrings.com, like I said, and at checkout type in fall podcast to get $10 off any sets of custom strings that you want from America's Best. I am natural.